Turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. We begin reading with verse 14. 2 Kings 13 verse 14. What I want to give you tonight is certainly not an exhaustive list, but I think it's a list that we can begin with as we think of credentials of a champion. There are a lot of champions that we meet in life. Goliath was a champion of the Philistines, and he went out and defied the Lord's army, and God sent a little squirt named David to be the real champion in that battle. And he said, you've come in the name of the hosts of Philistines. I've come in the name of the Lord. And he took a little slingshot, wound it up two or three times and went right to the eye, right to the forehead, put the man out, went down, took his sword and cut him off with his own sword. David, a champion. We've known some champions in life that we thought were champions, got to know them a little bit better and we found out that they really weren't so much champions. I think of Pete Rose. I'm sure everybody here respects Pete Rose and loves him and still does. You still do. If you ever loved him, you still do. If you ever appreciated him, you still do. But I'm sorry he got overtaken in gambling. That really grieved my heart especially gambling on his own team, any kind of gambling. I was interested to hear on the news that uh, now there's a group that are saying the most addictive gambling we have is the lottery. We've sort of said that all along and some of us have preached that. I hope not anybody in this room has been hooked on that. What a tragedy. I've known some folks in our city who could hardly eke out a meal and they save some of their money and go put it on this lottery thinking they're going to become a millionaire. Well, that's not championship. I have some champions in my life, heroes. One day I took some young people, some young men, a number of years ago out to eat. We were sitting around the table eating and I asked those guys, they were all either high school seniors or, or uh, first year in college. I asked those guys, who is your hero? Well, one of them named the Apostle Paul. I thought that was good. Somebody else named D.L. Moody. I said amen to that. One guy said, well, my, my hero is Elvis Presley. I won't tell you about Elvis. I'm sure he was a hero and idol of millions of people around the world. Every time he sang, people would swoon. And he must have made millions of dollars with his beautiful voice. He's one of the saddest men I ever met. Years and years ago when he was a young man, he used to sing about Jesus down in West Tennessee in a church. He was a church of God. And I think he was sincere. I don't know whether he was saved or not. I pray he was. If he was, he has a lot to answer for. But he sang about the Lord. 
And then somebody said, well, Elvis, your, your singing is too narrow. You're just singing about the Lord all the time. Why don't you sing some of these songs that people like to hear? Nobody likes to hear the songs about the Lord, of course. But uh, he sings some songs people like to hear. So they gave him some lyrics and tunes. He began to sing the world's songs. And after a while, he was singing, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, all those songs. Went all over the country, started the sex revolution. He's become a legend in his own time. I'm sure that people in this room have uh, thought a lot of Elvis. I was disappointed in him. I'm not speaking against him tonight. I'm just telling you, he's not one of the champions. He died of over, over drug, overdose of drugs. But these legendary people who have made him their hero have denied that he even died. They said, well, he's still alive. And they've seen him here and there. And you take the National Enquirer, you see that they've had pictures of him here and there. And he's alive. <laughs> well, the guy that said Elvis Presley is my hero is no longer serving the Lord. That's a sad thing. You see, who your hero is and who your heroes are has... That has a lot to do with what you do in the name of Jesus. It has a lot to do with how close you stick to the Lord. I want to talk to you about five or six characteristics of a real champion. And I know some men who have met these characteristics, and they are champions. I think of Robert E. Lee, one of the most noble men I ever heard about and read about. I've gone to his place where he's buried. I visited his university, Robert E. Lee University. I visited his home at Washington on the, right across the Potomac River up in Arlington Cemetery. I've read all I could read about Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee was a champion of Christ, a champion of faith. And though he was against slavery, and anybody in his right spiritual thinking would be against slavery, it is every, always wrong to think you can own another man. Nobody could ever do that. We own animals. We own dogs and horses and cats. We own sows. We own all kinds of things, but you can never own another person. God is the only one that can do that. And our early American people were wrong in thinking they could own another person, no matter what color his skin was. Robert E. Lee was against slavery, but he was a Southerner. He was for the South. And when Abraham Lincoln asked him to lead the federal forces, the Union forces, he said, I need to think it over, I need to pray about it. He prayed about it because at that time, and this is one of the evidences that the Civil War was not just a battle over slavery. It had to do with states' rights and other things. And Robert E. Lee, thinking about it and praying about it, came to the conclusion that he could not lead the federal forces. He sent a note to Mr. Lincoln and said, I regret to tell you, and they were close friends. 
I regret to tell you that I cannot, out of conscience sake, lead the forces of the Union. I must take my stand with the South. And though the South lost, there was not a greater general in all those years than General Robert E. Lee. And he died a hero. He's a champion of faith, even though the cause for which he gave much of his talents and interests was a misplaced cause. Now I want us to think tonight about one of the great men of the Bible. And if you're with your finger, with your Bible open to this place in 2 Kings 13, beginning with verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick with his sickness of which he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said unto him, Take bows, bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. He put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Now take the arrows. And he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground, and he smote thrice and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him, and said, Thou shouldst have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria, till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shouldst smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invited, invaded the land at the coming of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, they behold, they spied a, a band of men, and they cast the, men, the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And the man, when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. And thus we have the close of the life and ministry of Elisha. And I want to present to you tonight some credentials of championship, because Elisha was a great champion of the faith. He was similar to Elijah, the Tishbite, but he was a lot different from Elijah. Elijah was a lone ranger, so to speak. He appeared from nowhere. We know nothing about his past, don't know anything about his father or mother. He just suddenly appeared one day and said, Ahab, it's not right that you have this, this Naboth's vineyard, the place where you have gotten this by ill gain. You're going to die, and uh, the dogs will eat Jezebel. And it came to pass. Elijah was that thunderous prophet who met with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and had them sacrifice to their gods and pour water on the altar for God, for the Lord God. And Elijah said, now let the God that is really God answer by fire. And the Lord God answered and fire came and all that sacrifice was burned up. Elijah was a man who was not afraid to take a stand and having done all he stood. Now Elisha was a man similar to that in many ways but he was a man who also could be a companion to others. We never read about Elijah being a companion to anybody unless it was Elisha. 
Elijah stood alone. He was a loner. Elisha was continually around other preachers and other men and stood with them. He was a champion of faith. He was the head of the school of the prophets. He took over when Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind. I will tell you some of the estimate that God put on Elijah. He didn't even let him die. He said, Elijah, you've stood long through the years. You've been what you ought to have been. You stood tall for me. Now I'm coming to get you. Just like Enoch was walking with God one day and God said, Enoch, you're closer to my house than yours. Come on home to me. And Enoch went to heaven without the death due. Elijah was such a thunderous prophet for God that God said there would be no kind of death that would be worthy of that man. No kind of memorial place, no place where you could bury him, no funeral service for Elijah. Elijah, I'm going to take you home in a special chariot. And God sent a chariot of fire down to take Elijah home. But Elisha was the kind of man that was with Elijah even unto that hour of his promotion. Now, as we think about Elisha, I want to give you these five things. Number one, he was a busy man. Turn your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. 1 Kings 19, 19. If you want to be used by God, if you want to, the credentials of greatness, then we need to be busy. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So he departed from there, this is Elijah, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I to do with thee? What have I done to thee? And he turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now Elijah found Elisha very, very busy. The people that are going to be used greatly by God are not going to be loafers and lazy people. Those who are going to be really heroes and champions are not the people that just sit around twiddling their thumbs. They're folks that have a mission to accomplish. There's something to do, and they get busy doing it. Gideon was a man like that, busy about the work. And God called Gideon, and Gideon said, well, I'm just a nobody. Nobody will believe me. I'm nothing. And uh, beside that, I don't even have any education. And beside that, I'm not wealthy. And beside that, my dad doesn't even have a name around here. God said, I can use you because you can count on me and you're a worker. Elijah found Elisha. And one of the reasons he cast his mantle upon him was because he was a busy man. Now, if you want God to use you, and if you want really the credentials of championship, do away with all laziness. Be done with all slovenliness. Don't ever assume that there's some kind of work that's too low for you. Any kind of work that is not immoral is honest and honorable. There are many people who think they don't have to work. They just coast along. Parents, I think you make a mistake, and I love you, but I think you make a mistake when you let your children grow up in your home and don't give them jobs to do. They need to learn 
to take out the garbage and wash the dishes and do the, do the mow the lawn and do all the things and get them in practice of being busy and as early as possible help them to earn some money so that they'll realize the value of it. The champions in this life are those who have been busy about the things that God gave them to do and then God gave them something else to do. Secondly, Elisha was a surrendered man. Turn your Bible to 1 Kings 19, verses 20 and 21. We just read it. He left the oxen. He ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. Now, Elisha could have said, Now, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I've known some people who are busy. You see, busyness itself is not a credential of championship. There are lots of busy people in this life, but there's some that are so busy that when the tug of God comes or the call of God comes, they say, I'm too busy. I've got this to do and that to do, and I just can't leave it. I've got so many things to do. Well, you get somebody else. I'm too busy. You want something done? Find somebody that's busy and they'll try to get it done for you. But don't ever use the excuse when somebody says, would you teach a Sunday school class or would you drive a bus or would you be a bus pastor or would you go soul winning or would you serve as a deacon or would you serve as an usher? Would you be in the choir? Don't ever be guilty of saying, well, I'm so busy. I got too much to do. Get somebody else to do it. You'll never be a champion that way. The champions are those who are busy, but when they're challenged with a great work to do and nobody wants to be challenged with a loafing job. You know, I think sometimes our church nominating committees make a mistake. They'll say, Brother Harold, I wonder if you'd serve in such and such a thing. That's not a hard job. It's real easy. Anybody can do it. Uh, would you mind doing it? Well, Harold say, if anybody can do it, get somebody else. They come to Brother Harold and say, Brother Harold, I don't know anybody else could ever do this. This is a big job. It's an important thing. Would you pray about it? Would you ask God to give you the strength to do it? And Brother Harold, if he loves God, will say, yes, I'll do it. You see... The champions are those who are busy, but who are also willing to say, I'll surrender. I'll do it. And that's what kind of man Elisha was. When Elijah cast the mantle upon him, Elisha said, now, wait a minute. I want to go. I want to serve. Could I go home and say goodbye to my dad and mother? Now, I want you to notice what he did. It wasn't just saying farewell to his mother and daddy. He went home and got rid of the stuff he had made a sacrifice and gave it away and then went and served. Jesus told the story of a man who he, he called to the Lord's work and, and the man said, well now Lord, let me go first bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. So we know that Elisha was not just saying, well I gotta go home and spend, spend some time with my parents and be with them for a while and, and uh, maybe someday later I'll come and follow and work with you, Elijah, but I can't right now. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, I'll do it, but I've got some things that I've got to do to get rid of some stuff that I've got. You see, Elisha was a surrendered man and a man who was willing to get rid of whatever was in the way in order for him to serve and follow the Lord God. Thirdly, Elisha was an equipped man. Look in your Bible at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. 
2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I am taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now Elisha recognized that he did not, he was not equipped enough. That he needed more equipment. In other words, he needed to sharpen the tool that he had. And he said, Elijah, I want to be with you. And I want that mantle of spiritual leadership that you have And Elijah said, if you're with me when I'm taken, you can have it. And Elisha said, I'm not going to leave you. I'll be there. Now, a champion is one who will pay the price for service. I was interested in Rudy Atwood. Rudy Atwood told us one time in an interview down in Fellowship Hall, somebody said, Brother Rudy, how in the world do you play like you do? He said, I practiced eight hours a day for 40 years. When he was here recently, somebody said, Brother Rudy, do you still practice? He said, when I'm not on the road, I still practice. He's nearly 80 years old. These athletes, they don't become great by just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They practice it. All the champions are busy people, but they're equipping themselves. If the Lord has put his hand on you and called you to serve him, don't ever think that you can succeed by just sitting down and doing nothing. You need to equip yourself. I believe that everybody God calls, he calls them to prepare. I've heard some say, well, if God called you to preach, you just get up and preach and whatever comes out will be all right. It'll just be full of hot air. And after a while, you'll run out of something to say. You need to dig, study, prepare yourself. When God put his hand on me, when I was a young boy, I was amazed. I, I couldn't even believe it. First person I ever told about it was Dr. Finley Gibson. We were, he was in a revival meeting in Lexington, and I went over to Lexington. He was at the Ashland Avenue Baptist Church staying at the Lafayette Hotel. And I went up and I, I said, could I have a little conference with you? We walked down the street together and I told him that I thought God was calling me to his service, maybe to preach. Amen. Dr. Gibson put his arm around me and he said, work hard at it and prepare and build your ministry on implicit leadership of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, prayer and personal soul winning. I don't believe if God has put his hand on you and has called you to do something for him that you can avoid going on and preparing yourself. You can't be a dropout or a flunk out. You need to go on and do what God wants you to do. I was 14 at the time I told told Dr. Gibson that. I didn't really surrender until I was 19. But I rededicated my life to the Lord shortly after that interview with Dr. Gibson. And when I went to high school, I said, Lord, I've always hated school, wanted to drop out. But if you're going to use me, I need to prepare. I said, Lord, I want to go into a partnership. If you'll help me, I'll not miss one day of school. I'm going to sit in the front of the class, and I'm going to make some good grades. 
I went to those classes at DuPont Manual High School and sat in front of the class. I listened with my eyes and ears and heart. You see, I had to dig some of you photographic memories and just get stuff like that. I had to dig for it. And I listened to everything that was said. I took notes and I got on the dean's list and I got inducted into the National Honor Society, which was way more than I ever thought I'd get. I graduated from high school in three and a half years. And I said, now, Lord, I can't quit. I've got to go on to college because I know you want me to do something. What I'm trying to say is, Elisha equipped himself. He said, I need Elijah's mantle. That's not just a cloak. That cloak was a symbol of something else, of spiritual leadership and spiritual authority. He said, I need something I don't have. If God's going to use you as a Sunday school teacher, if God's going to use you as a deacon, if God's going to use you in his service, if God's going to use you as a preacher, if God's going to use you as a lawyer, if God's going to use you as a doctor, if God's going to use you in any kind of business, anywhere doing anything for his glory, you need to prepare yourself. And you need the spiritual authority and leadership that can come from God. That's the credential of a leader. The credential of championship. And I believe God will help if you go into a spiritual partnership with Him. One of the saddest things to me is a man, and I met him at Camp Joy this year from another city. And he said, I want to have a conference with you. We talked. He wasn't from Kentucky. He said, when I was a young boy, I sensed God had a something for me to do in my life and I just put it off I just put it off thought I could never do it he said that God spoke to me again in my teen years I put it off I thought I could never do it and in my early 20s before I got married God made it clear again and I just put it off I put it off finally I got married and God spoke to me again through the years but I just put it off and I 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 put it off. He said, I'm 53 and tonight I want to surrender to God's will for my life. God bless him. I love him. My heart went out to him. But I want to tell you, he waited a long time. He said, I've wasted all these years. I have a lot to give account to God for. But we serve a God where there's a land of beginning again. And God can use you no matter what you are, who you are, what your age is, if you'll put your life on the altar and say, Lord, use me. Here's my life. I give it to you. I want you to use me. And I'm, I know I need something I don't have. And I'm going to dig and I'm going to study and I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I need the authority and the leadership and the spiritual mantle that God can give me. A credential of leadership. Look in your Bible to 2 Kings 5.16 for just a moment. Second Kings 5.16. Elijah, uh, Elisha rather, had just told Naaman how to be healed. 
And Naaman finally went down to the river Jordan and dipped seven times and came up and his flesh was as white as, as, as a little child's, clear and clean. And so he came back and he said, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going, in other words, I'm going to, I'm going to buy what you've given me. Look at verse 15. He returned to the man of God and, all, and his company and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God on all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Now, Elisha was, not a, was a man that was not for sale. I don't know, are you for sale tonight? Whoever the highest bidder is. A lot of people are. A lot of people are for sale to wherever you can get the most pleasure. Or wherever you can be the most popular. Some of you are be in school this fall, this year. And the temptation is going to be to bow before the God of popularity. Or the God of pleasure. You're going to try to find some boy that'll be just gullible. And will let you tempt him in the sexual area and mess his life up. Or you're going to try to find some girl that will let you tempt her in that area and just mess her life up. Because everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. That's the thing to do today. You read it on television. You hear it on television. You see it in the, in the movies. You see it on, in the magazines and so on. Everybody's doing it. So you think you have to do it. Well, that's not championship. That's not championship. Elisha was the kind of man that had integrity. He was not for sale. Now I want to know, are you for sale to the highest bidder? Or are you willing to say, I will not take that kind of price for my integrity? for my honesty, for my purity. I'll not bow before that kind of a God. Amen. Now I want you to notice something else. Look in your Bible at 2 Kings 6. Now I could go on all evening, but these are just some things that the Lord's laid on my heart about Elisha that I want to show with you, share with you. Look in Elisha, in uh, 2 Kings 6. Verses 16, I mean 15, 16, and 17. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both the horses and the chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now, these were the Syrian hosts and horses and chariots. And Elisha answered, Fear not, for they who are with us are more than they who are with them. Now, I want you to notice the servant of Elisha couldn't see that. He was out there and it looked like the, it just looked like everything was going wrong. The battle was against Elisha. There were too many problems. And here were all these Syrian hosts and they were crowding in. And pretty soon they were going to take Elisha. And the servant of, 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 this, of, of Elisha was just scared. His knees were knocking. He didn't know what to do. And Elisha said, he just got down on his knees and said, oh, Lord, please open this man's eyes so he can see. And suddenly his eyes were open and out beyond those horses and chariots of the Syrian army, he saw the whole mountainside filled with the horses and chariots of God. 
the armies of God. Now, beloved, when you see problems, and those problems become so insurmountable, or so big and so gigantic, and they become champions in your life, then you are living under the circumstances. But when you can ask God, Lord, open my eyes that I might see, and open the eyes of people that I have to do with so they can see there's victory ahead. There's victory ahead. Elisha was a man of victory. He was a man that didn't talk defeat all the time, but he was a man with an upbeat, and he was out and out for, for the things that he knew were right. Now, credential for championship, you can't be depressed all the time. You can't go around grumbling and complaining all the time how awful things are, how unfair people are to you, and how the cards are stacked against you. I hear that all the time. Now, beloved, the cards are not stacked against anybody who serves the Lord. We're on the winning side. There's victory in Jesus. If you're, if you're defeated tonight, you're discouraged. And I'm not saying you won't have financial worries and problems. Take them to Jesus. I'm not saying that everything, all of life will be a rosy bed of ease. It won't be. I'm not saying that you'll never have some problems and, and you won't know how to get out of them, you won't know how to deal with them. You will have problems like that. But the true test of, of character is how do you deal with the problems? How do you deal, what do you do, do when sin comes into your life? You just get down and wall in it and stay in it? If you're really God's child, you're going to be miserable down there. And something in your heart will have an upward tug and you'll get up from all that mess and say, Lord, please forgive me. I want to get going for God again. And if you're really God's child and God's servant and you want to be on the winning side and you want to be a champion for Christ, when all these problems crowd in on, all around you and they just press in, whether it's ill health, whether it's a, a, a problems in, the, in your family, whether it's problems with your money, problems with your job, whatever it is, instead of just being down and out all the time and defeated, ask God to give you a spiritual spizzerinctum in the darkest of nights. Now, I can't think of a time in the Bible when a man of God was in more trouble than Elisha was in this chapter. The Syrian armies hated Israel. And you know, we spoke on this a few weeks ago. The Syrian armies were coming and uh, they were especially hunting for Elisha because Elisha was reading their minds and God was revealing to them some of the battle plans. And he would go to the king of Israel and say, now, Elisha, uh, Elisha would say, now, the Syrian armies are going to be here. Don't go there because you'll get ambushed. Go somewhere else and run another route. And when the Syrian army learned about it, they said, we must have some spies that are telling the king of Israel all about it. And somebody in his court said, no, it's not spies. It's that man of God over there. God's telling him all about it. And so they went to this city, especially to get Elisha. I want to know, has anybody ever had it in for you and tried to get you? Have you ever been the object of somebody's hatred and ill will? And you feel like everybody's against me? That's where Elisha was. He was in a spot and he thought everybody's against me. I don't know what to do. Well, that's not the way Elisha was. His servant was like that. Elisha just kept on plowing on, going on, going on. And his servant came and said, now look at here, you've got to face reality, Elisha. I don't understand how you can be so upbeat and so encouraged. What's wrong with you? Do you not know that all these Syrian armies are going to come down here and they're going to kill you and me too? <laughs> Elisha said, 
Lord, please open this man's eyes that he can see. Now listen. Do you think that God doesn't know the problems you have? You think the Lord doesn't know about them? They catch him by surprise? Where's God? Is he just off somewhere with his head turned to the corner and doesn't know what's going on? Or is he aware of what you're going through? If he is, he cares about you. And this book says, God is able to work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I believe that. Whether it's sickness, whether it's financial problems, whether it's death itself, God will work it together for good if you'll let him. The credentials of a, of a champion, a man who has an upbeat victory, knowing that victory is ahead. He's not defeated because he's not looking just for the present. He's looking for the victory that's ahead. Now that will apply with athletics. It will apply straight down the line. We often use Babe Ruth as a great hero. And we say he broke so many records in his day. Until Hank Aaron came along, he was the champion in home runs. But what most people don't talk about is that Babe Ruth failed more than anybody else. He struck out more than anybody else. Nobody remembers that. They remember that he was the champion of home runs. Don't be afraid of your failures. Don't curl up in a knot and die when you fail. A champion is one who just gets back in the battle and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going until God puts his well done upon your life. But there's a price to pay for championship. And that price is commitment. Commitment. It doesn't just happen. There has to be commitment. You have to make a decision to say, I want that. I want to be a champion. I'm planning to be a champion. That doesn't mean you have to be egotistical and go around with your head in the air and say, I'm going to be better than anybody else. No, that isn't it. But I want to be a champion in what God wants me to do. Whatever it is. If it's to be a school teacher. If it's to be a librarian. If it's to be someone that uh, drives a, 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 a bus or a taxi cab or a car or if somebody working in an office <clears throat> or somebody working in a physician's room or somebody in a hospital or somebody in a school room, whatever it is, or if God's called you to be a missionary or a preacher or a singer, whatever it is, you say, Lord, I want to do the best I can do with what you've given me. And so I put it on the altar for Christ. Bev Shea is a hero of mine. I love him. It was, when he was a young man, Bev Shea was offered several contracts in opera. And he almost accepted them. He came home one day and his mother, who loved Jesus with all of her heart, had found a poem. The poem that Ronnie Fields sang this morning. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than to be the king of a vast domain. She put that on the piano. When he came in that night, he saw that. And he, he was always his custom to go and just play a little bit at the piano. And as he looked at those words, a melody came to his heart. 
And he began in just a little while, he finished the melody that we sing to that song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. The next morning, he said, Mother, I've made up my mind. My decision is on the piano. And she went over there and looked and found the poem that she had put there. And he went over and started singing it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. And on and on. Bev Shea became a champion for Christ. Amen. Now Bev Shea lived through the same time that Elvis Presley lived. Elvis Presley started out in a church in West Tennessee. When I was a young man, I heard him, got to meet him. But what a mess he made. I don't mean to be offensive to any of you, but if he's your hero, you're headed for tragedy. Elvis Presley threw that wonderful golden talent that he had to the dogs and to the world. And the world got him and gave him plenty of their money. He has a big mansion down there. What's he doing with it now? Bev Shea, I don't know whether he has much money or not, but how many people he's influenced toward Jesus Christ, that great voice God gave him. The credentials of championship begin with commitment. You have to decide. It doesn't just creep up on you. You have to decide, I'm going to make some grades. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to study. I'm going to put Jesus Christ first in my life. I'm going to go on with God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do with my life. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight who would say that. First of all, giving your heart to Jesus as personal Savior. And secondly, offering your time and talents and life on the altar of service and say, by the grace of God, I want to be a champion for Christ. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our Father, we thank you for Elisha. He was strong in life and even in his hour of death, he was still speaking with authority because he had authority from God. And even after death, when those men who died and were buried touched his bones, somehow there was a vibration that came that brought them back to life. That defies our understanding. But Lord, I pray tonight that you would put into somebody's heart a willingness to say, Lord, use me. I want to be a champion for Christ. I want to put my life on the altar for God. I want to commit myself to Him. Now, while we remain in prayer for just a moment, would you have some, do some business with God right where you stand and sit? Whatever age you are, whatever profession you're in, whatever business you're in, it's not too late to start with God if you're willing. The world would never have known Winston Churchill had he died before he was 65. He did his greatest work after 65. On the other hand, 
D.L. Moody died when he was 62. The world will never forget what he did, the Christian world. You don't have very long to do what you're going to do. David Brainerd died when he was 29, but he left a trail across the wilderness of America bringing Indians to Christ. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who would just right where you sit, just whisper, Jesus, I want you to use me. I want to offer my life to you. No, whatever, no matter what age I am, I may be in my 80s or, or I may be in my teens, but here's my life. I want to be a champion for Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to speak to people's hearts. We pray that in the years ahead, we'll see the fruit of this personal conversation some are having with you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? The song we're singing, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, is a song that has this sentiment, this thought. Jesus is passing along, and we reach out and say, Now, Lord, don't pass me by. There are a lot of times that song seems to be inappropriate because Jesus doesn't want to pass anybody by. But if you'll be a champion for Christ, there has to be that, that thought inside that says, Lord, I know you've spoken to me. Give me another chance. Give me an opportunity. Don't pass me by. Don't be done with me. Don't be through with me. Here's my life. I want to give it to you. Oh, how tragic it is. When you give God your excuses over and over and over and over again, and finally he stands back and says, all right, go on. And you no longer hear that tug in your heart. There's some in this room who may be church members but not even saved because you're not serving the Lord. Would you examine your heart to find out for sure if you're God's child? While we begin to sing, is there somebody that has heard God speak to you you ought to come forward tonight. Would you do it? God help you to yield to his call and his tug and his will. What number is that?